Happy St. Patrick's Day. Oh, you guys are so lame today. Uh, Here we go. Let's try it again. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Isn't that a weird holiday? I mean, do we really know what we're celebrating? Um, I had a little brief video clip. I'll probably put it up on our Facebook page, um, our Haven Facebook page, if you'd like to check it out. It's a, it's a little kind of thing that clarifies what St. Patrick is about, what it's not about, and why we do what we do on St. Patrick's Day and who he was and all kinds of good stuff. He actually was a really good person. If you want to tick off an Irish person, tell him he wasn't Irish because he wasn't. <gasps> Sorry. Okay. Um, but anyway, uh, we'll talk about that. A little bit later. Today, we've been talking about the last few weeks. If you join with us today, we've been talking about close encounters, uh, about encounters of people in the scripture that have come into contact with Jesus and it's changed their lives. And that's where we are. Um, so let me ask you a question. If somebody came up to you and said, What must I do to get the best investment on my finances? Would you have some ideas? Or would you want to ask them if you find it? Let me know. How many of us would be that way? What if somebody came up to you and said, what do I need to do to get peace and purpose in my life? What is that thing I need to do? Or what if somebody said, what must I do to go to heaven? Well, we have the answers to those questions with us. Well, that brings us today to our our scripture lesson because... This is actually what we're talking about today. We are going to be talking about the, the guy who goes down in history known as the rich young ruler. We don't know anything about him. And this week in uh, Bible study, it seemed to fit. I had it planned out. Well, actually, I bounced back and forth. I bounced back and forth between uh, a couple different scripture lessons and drove Wayne crazy. But God just put me here. So we're going to talk about this guy in Luke 18, 18 through 30. That sounds like a lot of verses, but it's really short. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open with me. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Um, if not, um, just, fo- just follow along mentally. Um, or we also do have some of the scriptures, I think, on, on the screen that you can see. Um, but don't worry about that because we're going to just bounce around. So here we go. Um, what we learn is that this starts off in verse 18 where this rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. So he stops there. He says, Why do you call me good? What's going on here is I really believe, and I've always struggled with this question, why would a rich, well-off financial person go talk to a, a relatively poor, uneducated carpenter who ended up being a prophet from Nazareth. That doesn't make sense, does it? And so Jesus had gotten kind of like this following that was going along that was there, but I think Jesus read right through it. I think Jesus, because he comes up, you ever been schmoozed by somebody? How many of you ever been schmoozed by somebody? You know, it's like when they really, like, have you ever called a customer service and they give you the runaround and you're really irate? How many of you ever done that? Okay. Um, we'll have confession afterwards. Um, but I've done that too in my life about one, two, or 3,000 times in my life um, where I've gotten so aggravated. I wish I had a video of it in life because I'm so aggravated on someone who is on the phone who is giving me a runaround. Um, we had one thing where we were sending in a payment and the bank that we were sending in the payment to changed everything 
and they bought the bank that we were sending them checks from. Now, you with me here? We had a bank that we used for years. It got bought out by another bank that we were actually making payments to. And then they cut off our payments because we didn't tell the new bank that they could receive the money that they bought the whole bank with. You with me? So we get this letter that we're sending you to the collection agency because you haven't made your payment. And I said, oh, I'll pray for you. No, I didn't. I went irate. I said, so that is like me going next door and paying, getting money from my neighbor and then coming back and giving them money and saying, no, you have to give it to somebody else to give to me or else I'm not going to take it from you. And he said, huh, yeah. And, and before I knew it, this guy was begging to talk to my wife. And I had to do a lot of repentance, you know, because it was just, I, I just don't like things that don't make sense that we do, but, you know, a lot of things are like that in the world. And so this, you know, but through the whole time this man is, Mr. Cohen, Mr. Cohen, yes, Mr. Cohen. I didn't let him know I was a pastor because that would have been really good. Then he would have been like, Reverend Cohen. Um, then he probably would have been, let me pray for you. Um, but as we're going through this whole kind of thing, he was saying, Mr. Cohen, what he, wanted to really, what he really wanted to say, you jerk, shut up. This is my job and I don't like it any more than you do, but just shut up and let me do what I need to do, right? That's probably what he would have wanted to say. Anybody ever been in retail? Wouldn't you like to say that to some people too in your life? But we say, Mr. Ma'am, please. And, you know, if you're getting called ma'am by someone who has no clue who you are, they really want to call you something else, just to let you know, or sir. And so we, we see this deal. And I think what's happened, Jesus realizes he's getting schmoozed here. And he comes up and he goes to him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus goes right through it and says, why are you calling me good? Why are you calling me good? Only God is good. Then he goes into this deal if you don't want to know how to get to eternal life, go ahead and look at the commandments. And the man goes, I, I, I'm, I'm which ones? And Jesus goes through a list. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me a little bit to Exodus chapter 20. Um, if you turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, that's way back. Exodus chapter 20. Look at the ones that Jesus gives here. He says... You know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and your mother. The Ten Commandments that he gives here, Jesus gives a certain section. The man goes, I've kept them all. The ones that he's actually giving the man, he's leaving out, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not take the Lord of your name, the name of your God in vain. You see, he's dealing, leaving the ones out that deal with God. You see, what we learn is that this man on the surface level looked really good. But the problem was with his relationship with God, not with other people. And Jesus was calling him out to where he was. He didn't mention no other gods before me, no images or idols, no misuse of the Lord God. No, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Jesus, as I said, mentioned those in relationship to others. In other words, you can be a really good person and still miss out on a relationship with God. That's what Jesus is saying here. I've known really good people in my life. The man gets excited. He said, all these I've kept. But what do you do in life when an A is not enough? He got an A and it wasn't enough. Now, I never had that problem in school. I, you know, that an A was a wasn't good enough. Usually a C or in my physical science in college first semester, a D. Um, 
was not good enough uh, for my GPA. Um, and take that one home and see how much you like that. Uh, but this is where he goes. And Jesus says, okay, well, let me tell you, you still lack one thing. And the guy's like, okay, what is it? And he says, take everything you have, sell it, and give it to the poor. Take everything you have, take it and sell it, just liquidate what you have, sell it and give it to the poor, and then what does Jesus say? And then, what's the, what does he say? Follow me. This rich young man is one of 14 people in the entire scripture that Jesus specifically called to follow him. We have the, tw- the original 12. We have the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. And we have this man here. Every other person, you know, a couple weeks ago we were talking about disciples. They left their nets, followed him. That was their business. That was everything they had. They dropped it and followed him. This man, Jesus goes right to the heart. He had an opportunity to serve God, and he didn't. The scripture tells us in verse 23. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was extremely wealthy. That's what the verb actually means, extremely wealthy. You see, why did Jesus say this? He didn't say this to others. I mean, he hung out with some wealthy people. There were some wealthy people. A wealthy person buried him. And he didn't say, sell everything you got. He didn't say that to him. You know why? Because it wasn't a stumbling block between him and his relationship with God, Joseph of Arimathea. It was keeping him from being close to God. And I believe in many cases, this still is one of the main stumblers for many of us here today. You know, in Luke chapter 1 through 18, Jesus has 18 different accounts or stories about how money keeps, individuals keep them away from God. The man walked away and was sad. And Jesus rocks the disciples because they were good Jewish people who believed that if you have financial blessings, then you must have been doing what God wanted you to do. And if you were poor, it was because you weren't living right for God. And if you turn on the TV at certain times, you'll hear many Christians preaching the same thing. If you just love God enough, if you just pray hard enough, your vats will be full and overflowing. And what does that mean for the person who is struggling to pay the bills but loves God? No, you see, God knew, Jesus knew that it was a stumbling block for this man. Peter gets really nervous at this point, and Simon Peter says, well, what about us? If he can't make it, what about us? And Jesus says, it's impossible for you, but everything's possible with God. What are we talking about here today? What are we learning here in this thing, some lessons from this rich young ruler and his encounter with Jesus? Well, I started today's two uh, main points today with an Irish saying in St. Patrick. And the first one is, put silk on a goat and it's still a goat. What we first learn is that we can look good, but we can truly miss out on what God wants us to do. And who he wants us to be. And the first thing that we're looking at today is being good is not enough. Just being a good person is not enough. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9. It is not by works, for it is by grace you have been saved through your faith, and it is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by, underline this, not by works so that no one can boast. We live in a society that wants to rank and have us, if we have enough pluses, then we get this. If we have enough negatives, then we get this way. And we think God thinks that same way. That if I build up enough on this side, surely I'm going to get there and he's going to say, good job, get in here, you are a good person. But that's not how it works. 
It continues, if you continued in chapter, verse 10, it says, we are God's workmanship, created to do good works. And you say, wait a second, Jack, I thought we're not supposed to do good works. No, we are not saved by our good works. We are saved by the grace, the undeserved favor of God that we don't deserve. But because we've been saved by God, we want to do good things. And we should want to please God. As someone once said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, your all your strength, and do what you please. Because if you truly love God that way, you're going to want to do what pleases Him. And that's going to be an outflow of your heart. Your actions are going to show what God wanted. We know that this man walked away because he truly, truly didn't love God above all things. And so we look at this and we are, are jolted. Let me put it this way. Religion says do. Doesn't religion say do? You do this, you say that, you, you, you walk this way, you do that thing, you, you get involved in this group, you do this. That is doing, that's religion. Christianity, the heart of Christianity is done. That it's not about what we do, it's about what Christ has done for us that allows us to go ahead and serve and, and do Him and live for Him. The scripture is very clear and tells us all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So that's the first thing that we learn. The second thing is being wealth or worldly focus is often a hindrance. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, which is printed there, it says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, I, I made this statement the other night and said, although I'm not looking to put God to test, it would be, my faith would be so much stronger if everything, every ounce of my financing and, and everything else I trust in in this world was removed where I had to depend on God. Now, my, my wife and my family are not excited about testing that out. Um, uh, but, but if it came to that point, God's faithful. You know, one, one of the things that um, I recognize, and just very briefly, is in order to start this church five, a little over five years ago, full years ago, there was a lot of things that were promised and a lot of things didn't come through. And at that point, um, I realized that in the six-month time, if God didn't bless this thing, I would be doing something totally different, hoping I'd be doing something totally different and supporting a family of seven. And at that time, Melissa didn't have a full-time job. And, and you now I look at it when I'm 42, and I'm like, what the heck was I thinking? But I wasn't. I was, I was focused on who God is. And that's not to pat me on the back, because believe me, there was a lot of weeping and gnashing of teeth down in my... Uh, I got the, there's probably tooth marks uh, in me, you know, biting my fingers all, all the way through this. But the fact is, God is faithful. God is truly faithful. We heard today that, you know, yeah, we had this windfall there. I know God's going to make that up. If not, I'll get to put this thing to test, right? You know? But God is faithful. And he's brought this church to where it is and going to bring it to where it's going to be. And I'm excited about that. You know, what's interesting... It, half of America, half of American wealth was created over the last 15 years. Half of its wealth. And probably lost in the last five years in many of those realms too. Less than a half of Forbes, uh, the Forbes uh, list used to be people who had like 400 million. Now you've got to be a billionaire to make that list. At least a billionaire. And you know what's interesting? Less than half of the people on Forbes agreed that wealth has made them happier. 10% of millionaires and 12% of women millionaires said wealth has made more problems than it solved. I'm a huge sports fan, as you guys know. And one of the things I, I saw, there was a great Netflix video called Broke. And it's about, you know, 75% of athletes go broke within a few years after they retire. 
go completely flat broke. People who sign $100 million contracts. And if I gave you a list of their names, you would know most of them. It's overwhelming what happens to these people. Why is it when we get focused on wealth, can it be a hindrance? Because it gives us a, a false independence. We end up with an attitude, I don't need God until the market crashes. I don't need God until I lose my job. I don't need God until something else happens. I lose somebody that's near to me. It causes us to focus on ourselves rather than God. And what we find out is studies show us that we always want more. I had somebody when I was first married, and Melissa and I lived on... uh, I think it was 14.8 was the student pastor salary with a parsonage. And I remember that uh, a fellow pastor of mine telling me, you live to what you make. You live to what you make or what you do not make. And I told him, yeah, yeah, whatever. But you know, he was, tr- he was right. Studies show that the wealthy believe they need twice as much as they have to feel secure. And when I say wealthy, I'm talking about all of us. You say, Jack, I'm not wealthy. You should, I'm not gonna sh- if I showed you my bank account, you'd be appalled. But uh, apart from the rest of the world, we are all wealthy in the rest of the world. The last thing that it does, it keeps focus on the world and not on God. You know, the top 20% earners in the United States are responsible for 70% of the consumption in the United States. The nation's non-rich, though, make up the rest of it by trying to keep up with the rich people down the road, the richest down the road. You see, I believe that sadly, and I see this in my own life, in my own family, that we are raising a generation of people that we know the price of everything, but we don't know the value of anything. That there's not value for anything in life, but we know how much it costs. For instance, I remember when I was so thrilled and Jim gave me the first iPhone that he had. And I had an iPhone, and I thought it was good. But guess what? Then they came out with the iPhone, was it 3? 3G? And I needed it. And then they came out with a 3GS, and I wanted it. But I bought it from Melissa. And then they came out with a 4, and I had to have it. And they came out with a 4S, and I got it. And I've resisted the 5, you know? It's just, you know, you know, and then the other thing is just sitting somewhere. I, it might be in a landfill. Who knows? We know the price of stuff, but we don't know the value of anything. What matters is being faithful. Being faithful is what counts. Look at what the scripture says right here in Revelation chapter 2. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you a crown of life. So let's ask ourselves this question. What have I given up to follow Christ? You see, that was the problem with the rich young man. What have I given up? He gave up nothing. To follow Christ. It cost him nothing. It's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. That I'm saved, but it's cheap. What have I gained by following Christ? Not you, write that. What have I gained by following Christ? Look at this verse from Philippians. What the Apostle Paul said. He dealt with a lot of stuff. He had a lot more problems after he followed Jesus. But look what he says. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. He realized that everything failed in comparison to following Christ. So being that it is St. Patrick's Day, I wanted to tell you about somebody who followed Christ. Somebody whose life changed. Because he realized what it cost to give up for Christ. And he realized what he gained for Christ. This is a great book. I've heard this person speak. It's by a guy named George Hunter III. And George Hunter 
is a Christian who wrote this book called The Celtic Way of Evangelism. And it's an incredible book. It's in the same vein, if anybody's ever read the book, uh, How the Irish Saved Civilization. It's kind of in the same vein, but it's a Christian focus. And in there, he talks about this guy, Patrick. Now, what's interesting about Patrick, we call him St. Patrick, but I don't know to this date whether anyone has sainted him. Um, he's not Irish either. He is actually Breton with an O-N. He was from the British Isles, and he was actually a... Um, he was actually Romanized at this point. He was born right around the time or a little bit after, maybe 80 years after, Constantine had made Christianity the religion of the known world. And it's really interesting what he did here. He was, and I'm going to share with you some of his story. I'm, I'm going to paraphrase some of this, um, but it's a, it's a great story if anybody likes history. When he was, what we find out about him, his father was a, a deacon, an important person in the church. His grandfather was a preacher, a pastor. And what we find out, he knew the catechism, and he was raised in church, but he and his friends hated church, and he was what we would call today an atheist. He was an atheist, and they used to make fun of people in the church. They used to make fun of his grandfather and his father and everyone else, um, most of the time while they sat in church. And about the age of 16, he and his friends were spending time hanging out. And all of a sudden, Celtic pirates came to where they were. They took him and his friends, and a number of them, forced them on a boat at the age of 16, took them back to Ireland, and sold them as slaves. And he was sold to a prosperous tribal chief and druid. At the time, they were run by tribal chiefs, and the tribal chief ruled the area. And his name was Miliuk. And he put Patrick to work herding the cattle. Now, imagine if you did that, if you had somebody do that to your 16-year-old. Go and take them from where their Xbox and their iPods and their chatting on uh, Facebook, and all of a sudden, you picked them up and you plopped them in a place where they were slave, where they were sold, stripped of all dignity, and placed in a place where they had to herd cattle. During his enslavement years, Patrick experienced some incredible changes in his life that we're going to talk about, and he came to know Christ intimately. Some of the things that we learn about Patrick that we can learn about our own life and our own walk with, with the Lord that the rich young man didn't get is this. And this is number one under two. You will never plow a field if you only turn it over in your mind. That it, what Patrick realized was in my captivity, I begin to see and focus on who Jesus is. While Patrick was there, he experienced some things that really changed them. One of the things was, and I have these three revelations that he began to have. The first thing that he had, he had a nat, what, what theologians now call a natural revelation. And that's the first one in your bulletin. A natural revelation. As he was out in the wilderness herding cattle, Patrick shares that he began to have, that he sensed the winds, the seasons, the creatures, and the night under the stars. He began to sense the presence of God Almighty. This grouped with his understanding of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he began to feel and experience them in the creation. And, you know, I started wondering about this this week as I zipped down in my car from place to place, how much I just looked past what God's given to us. You know, when it was raining and hailing and all that kind of stuff, I was like, oh, this is a mess. Look at this. But when it was bright and sunny this week and I got to see everything, got to see clouds and, and just got to see the green that's starting to peek through here and there and... 
getting excited about it getting warmer and recognizing that oh god is just just stopping one day and going out and hearing some birds the other day when it was warm i heard birds and i was like oh that's cool i've missed you birds come back you know and just to see like a a little rabbit or a cat or something just on the road and rather than just being a hindrance to my life i begin to experience who god is and and i mean this is a picture from ireland can you not experience god in that and you know i remember in my youth that one of my favorite places to go would be turkey point where i would go and just hang out with my friends and sit out there and watch the water and and sit in silence and just get alone and just i remember going through some difficult points in my life and just getting out in nature and connecting to god in a way thanking god for his creation that was the first thing he did. The next thing was that Second Patrick changed another way, and he had a cultural revelation. What he began to understand the Irish Celtic people and their language and culture with this kind of intuitive nature, and he understood why they did what they did. And this is important because the organized church of the day had become church. And meanwhile, they had barbarian invaders all around them in Rome, but Rome was not reaching out to them because they were barbarians. And Rome had reached a point now, after just 80 to 100 years in making it the official religion, that in order to become a Christian, you had to be Christianized, or what that meant, civilized in a Roman way. And I begin to look at how we, over the years in the church, do the same thing. We tell people, come just as you are. We sing hymns, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And we, we, we preach it and we say it and we rejoice when people accept the Lord. And then we start to change them. Then we tell them how they need to dress and what they need to say and what Bible they need to read and how they have to pray. And I was telling my disciple Bible study the other night about I've heard some of the most flowery prayers in my life and I think that's awesome if you got that gift. But the most powerful prayer I have ever heard to this day in my life was at a Fellowship of Christian Athletes meeting where a young inner city black male who had no father in his life stood up at the pulpit with with i think mike singletary was there that night as the speaker and all these athletes and all these important people one of them being a retired uh admiral i believe from the navy and he stands up against all these people who look good in the world like the rich young ruler and he stands up there in his heart and says dear dad i want to thank you for being who you are in my life is that powerful There's nothing between him and his daddy. That's powerful in that way. Patrick had a cultural uh, revelation. He understood the people. When Rome, the organized church, wanted no parts to do do with it. The third thing that Patrick came to know is he he had a person, a people or person revelation. In other words, Patrick reached a point where he came to love his captors. He began to love the people who had taken him captive. And he had this great love for them. And he had a love that he hoped that they would be reconciled to God. It's interesting, this, uh, as we go to the second thing, Patrick, so that's the first one, my captivity, in my captivity I began to see and focus on God. Then the next thing happens, when my focus changes on God, my direction changes. What happened was Patrick saw a vision that told him where a boat was, and he took off on the boat, took off and found a boat, and he went back and he did that at the age of 20. Then one night, when, and then he went and became a priest at the age of 48 years old. 
which is long past the age that people live there around that time. Patrick went to the bishop and the pope and asked, can I go ahead and be the bishop? After I've seen this vision, he had a vision where they were saying, holy boy, please come back to us, and it was captured. He took it as a message from God, and he changed his direction for life, where now he wanted to go back to those people and witness and share the love of God. And so they made him the bishop to Ireland, to these Celtic barbarian people and he took some people with him and he becomes known as the first missionary bishop appointed by the organized church he arrived in ireland in in 432 and as he was there he began to uh, to share he did like abraham did as it says in not romans 8 but in hebrews chapter 11 verse 8 by faith, Abraham was called to go to a place he would later receive as a, an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. I think Patrick didn't have a clue what was going to happen. You know the first person he went to when he went to Ireland? The chief who bought him. And he began to share with him the love of God. And because he knew the culture of the people, he began to take something like a three-leaf clover. And three was very symbolic for the Celtic people. And he began to share this three-leaf clover and say, see how this is three and there's one? Let me tell you about a God who is three and one. God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit. He took what was in their culture and revealed the goodness of God to them. At this time, Ireland had two to 500,000 people. Cecil County has 101 or so thousand people. In his lifetime, he evangelized tons of Ireland. But after his lifetime, it even expanded all the more. Why? Because his direction had focused, it changed. And when my direction changes, my prison becomes my mission. He no longer looked at this as a place that separated him and robbed him from life. He looked at it as the place that in his struggles as a young boy, now God is used to bring many to him. I, I came to two areas, and one was in Genesis chapter 20, the story of Joseph, the guy with the richly ornamented coat, or the coat of many colors. Or the amazing Technicolor dream code, if you like Andrew Lloyd Webber. He said, after his brothers were very nervous, he said, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. In your life, I want to ask you, how many of you are going through a struggle that maybe, just maybe God wants to use to save somebody? That, that God just wants to use your life to reach out to many, many people. Patrick, when he was first taken and thrown into captivity and slavery probably never thought it'd be a place he'd come back to when he escaped but because of it he changed ireland once and for all it's because he attached a passion to it and when my mission becomes number four when my mission becomes my passion it becomes a movement look at what happened in the in the book of acts in the book of acts those who accepted his message and were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I have preached some pretty decent sermons. You guys be the judge if this is one or not. Um, I've, I've preached some ones that I thought are bad. And you know what's really interesting? It's the ones that I always think I've preached that are bad that people come out and say, that just really touched my heart. And I'm like, okay, God, you're in control because I don't know what I was saying up there. But I have never, ever had the opportunity for the Spirit of God to move so powerfully that 3,000 came into the kingdom, that every day when I went somewhere, somebody else came to know Jesus. Oh, but I wish that it would happen. And I guarantee it's more about me than it is about God. 
When my mission into the world becomes my passion, then it becomes a movement. Even though Patrick did very well in his lifetime, after he died, the people that were after there evangelized the rest of of, uh, Ireland. And you know, more people came to know Christ after Patrick's death than before that in Ireland. Why? Because they had a passion and it became a movement of the people. I want to ask you today, do you have a movement of God in your heart that you want people to know him? Do you have a movement that you wanted to go ahead and spread and fan that flame? As one of the things that I used for somebody here, I think it was Nathan, fan the flame of the gift of God that he's given to you. Do you want to see God fan that in your life? Do you have people that you come in contact day, day in, day out that don't know the Lord? Are you in your own bubble that you're in your own captivity so much that you're allowing everybody around you to be miserable? I've met so many Christians that are so caught in their own bubble that the only thing they can say is woe and gloom and doom, and then they'll talk and ask for prayer and want God to do something in their lives. But why would God do anything if your witness for him is misery? Patrick could easily be miserable, but he used that opportunity to become his passion, and it became his mission field where he began to use his sorrow and his, his down point to say, I have had a revelation. God has used this in order to do something awesome. The most important thing is where it comes to the end, and this is what leads right here. When a movement is lived out, it changes the world. You realize what was happening at Rome at the time? They were still trying to do their thing as a church and block out the barbarians. We don't need them. They're not civilized. They don't know how to show honor and respect in Rome. But what was happening in Ireland, Patrick was reaching people. And the people that followed Patrick shared the gospel. And you know what ended up happening? The barbarian invaders from around Rome conquered Rome. And their civilized nature, this is history. Right, Randy? Their, Their civilized nature caused them to be in captivity. And guess who went and sent missionaries to evangelize the now barbarian invaders of Rome? You got it, the Irish. Thus as Thomas Cahill said, how the Irish saved civilization. We, in our church world today, we are different, or we should be different than those around us, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't reach out to the barbarians of today. They've got a culture that we can learn something from. And we can use that culture to go ahead and minister to them the goodness of Jesus Christ. You know, our worship and the way we dress and the way we sing and the way we act to some other churches and brothers and sisters is barbarian and offensive. But guess what? God's moving. I want you to be Patrick today. It's not about green this and green that. It's not about Ireland. It's not about green beer. What it's about is having a love for God going through our own struggles in order to reach somebody for Jesus Christ. That's what's important today. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up today. And we've had a lot packed in here today, haven't we? A lot packed in. But I want to I want to ask you, who are you today? As it says in Acts chapter 1, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God wants to use you as the Patricks of today in your barbarian world to go out and reach many people. Because if God is for us, ain't nobody who can be against us. Amen? All right.
So stand yourself up, ladies. And we're going to go ahead and worship the Lord, okay? And if you need to pray, just take time to pray to God. If you've got something going on in your life, that uh, Jake, wave your hand. Where's Jake right over here? Jake, last week, I asked him if I could do this. He accepted the Lord Jesus as a Savior and Lord. Isn't that awesome? And we're excited about that. And there's somebody else here today, and you need to know the Lord. Do that here today. Uh, as they're getting ready to go into song, they're going to be singing it in the background. I'm just going to say a quick prayer, and then I'm going to go over. Lord God, we just thank you for who you are. Um, we celebrate today the day that St. Patrick, not when he was born, but when he died. Because when he died, God, it was the culmination of the work you had him do here and that you brought him into glory. And so we thank you for who he is and for what he's done. But God, Patrick's not here anymore. We are the Patricks of today. And I pray that you will send us out into this barbarian world that just doesn't know you, that we won't bash the culture, that we won't uh, have hatred for the people, that we'll connect with this world that you that you've provided around us and that we will love the people that you've placed in our way and that we can come to know them through Jesus Christ our Lord. If we need to know you here today, Lord, let us go kneel at this altar and just accept you if we need to renew our commitment as Patrick needed to do in his captivity. Help us do so, Lord. And if we're just bitter for some reason, God, heal that wound here today and help us make our prison our mission in your name.